Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick any area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM Sports account to get started. Then visit your promotion section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. You'll score a prize if you hit a single, double, triple, or home run. There's nothing more exciting than going yard. So swing for the fences with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on the market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hello, everybody. Peter Serrata from SlashFilm.com here. Before we get to the news, I just wanted to thank all of you for listening to the test run of SlashFilm Daily. We still haven't launched this podcast officially because we're still working through some of the kinks and trying to figure out what the SlashFilm Daily will be. I, I have to admit that I didn't anticipate how much work a daily podcast would actually be. And we're trying to figure out what the best workflow would be for that. Some of the things we're considering is not doing two segments every day or maybe doing one segment every day, you know, a new segment one day, a feature the next, alternating between them. I wanted to hear what you think of this. Send me an email at peter at slashfilm.com. We are really running into some walls with scheduling multiple people per day. Um, it's a lot of work to put this thing together and just wanted to hear what you are liking from this podcast thus far. What, what are some of the things that you don't like? We are improving the quality. Uh, this week, you should hear better quality from the guests that appear on the podcast. There should be uh, not as much fluctuation in the voice levels. We do know that that was an issue. We do know that you didn't like the theme song that we we opened up with. So we're, we're, we're trying to find a better solution for that as well. So aside from those things, please shoot us your feedback, 
peter at slashhome.com. If you're enjoying the show, you can now subscribe in iTunes, on Google Play, or any of the popular podcast apps. If you're liking this show, please give us a review on those apps. Uh, we, we, we do need some vocal support. And yeah, let's get to the show. Welcome, everybody, to Slash Home Daily for July 3rd, 2017. I'm Peter Soretta. On this podcast, we bring you the most interesting news from the world of movies and television. We wrap it up with a deeper dive into one of the great features here on SlashFilm.com. On today's show, Brad Omen, who you know is Ethan Anderton from SlashFilm.com, joins us to discuss a number of news items, including six mystery Marvel movies, Marvel not allowing Tom Holland to read the Infinity War script, a Spider-Man Homecoming sequel will take place minutes after Avengers 4, and Valerian is going to have an opening credit scene play before Spider-Man Homecoming in theaters. In our feature presentation, Ben Pearson will be joining us to share his top 10 movies of 2017 so far. Brad, how are you doing today? Not too bad. Ready to talk about the big news before America's birthday comes around. <laughs> yeah. 20th Century Fox has released six dates for upcoming Marvel property movies. And of course, they're not telling us what is what. The movies range from 2019, June to March 5th, 2021. We're not going to go over what the dates are. You can go to SlashFilm.com and see the list of dates because it's super not interesting for me to repeat dates on a podcast. But I, I want to speculate on what these dates could be. D do you have any ideas, Brad? I mean, all the the best guesses, I think, are the movies that we've heard Fox talk about, or at least people who work on the Fox Marvel movies talk about before. Of course, there's going to be another Deadpool movie at some point. They've already talked about doing an X-Force movie, which is the mutant team with Deadpool, Colossus, and Cable. But, I mean, I'm not really sure that there's anything that we could guess at that we haven't already heard about. Like, it's, it would be kind of hard to guess because Fox's roster of Marvel characters is somewhat limited. Like, they have a whole team of mutants that they could use since they have the x-men right to their disposal but it's tough to say yeah i think you listed off all the the options that are that hoi tran buoy listed off on the article on the site i mean we could see a cable standalone yeah a standalone movie with him with him could be interesting since josh brolin's playing that character there's i guess there's always a chance that they could still do more of the those x-men origins type movies even though it didn't work out so well for wolverine um, but, you know, I think that's the idea that they have for Gambit. And if they think they have a good story for any of the other X-Men, then that, that could work out. Do we actually think Gambit's going to happen? Because I don't think so. Uh, I'm, I'm skeptical. I, it's, it's definitely got, like, the right amount of people behind it to make it happen. But we've seen plenty of other movies with a good cast in place and a director lined up that have, you know, fallen again and again. So, And do we need another Fantastic Four reboot? The only Fantastic Four reboot I want is if they bring them into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I certainly don't want that rumored Fantastic Four reboot that's supposed to be more family-friendly. Because I don't know how you make it more family-friendly than what 20th Century Fox's terrible adaptation of Fantastic Four already was. I'm going to repeat a totally ludicrous idea posed to me by Silas Lesnick of ComingSoon.net. He always comes up with these ridiculous theories. And his theory is that Avengers 4... The secret title, that the fact that we can't know what the title of Avengers 4 is, is because it's actually called Avengers 4, and Marvel has secured the rights to the Fantastic Four, and they will be part of that movie. If that happens, 
I would lose my mind because that that would be awesome. That would be such a cool surprise. I mean, it would, it would be just as shocking as when, you know, they announced Spider-Man was coming to the MCU and maybe even just as shocking as when they announced they were going to do Civil War on the big screen. I mean, that, that would be huge news. What's the probability of it happening, Brad? I would say uh, 80, <laughs> 80 against 24. <laughs> Wow, I, I think you're being generous. I should also mention that with these release dates, this isn't something new. DC has been doing this, Marvel has been doing this, and now Fox is doing this, where they're basically planting flagpoles in these dates and saying we're calling this date, but they're not ready to commit to what is actually there because you know you never know how development is going to go. Yeah, basically, it seems like since Marvel stakes out first, that Fox takes over like some of some of the same months, but then also the, or the, or a month right after a Marvel movie comes out, they're really spacing them out. Yeah. Next up, Marvel won't let Tom Holland read the Avengers: Infinity War script, and he's already shot most of his part for that movie. But Tom Holland is saying that they won't let him read the script because he is bad at keeping secrets. I think is the wording he he gave. Do you think this is the first film where one of the major stars of the film has not been allowed to read the actual screenplay? No, not at all. I mean, you used to hear about that all the time with, especially with these Marvel movies, like some of the supporting cast members don't get to read the whole script because they don't want any spoilers getting out. And now, granted, Tom Holland is Spider-Man, but we're talking about Infinity War here. So he's going to have, you know, only the same amount of screen time that he had in Civil War, which was like 10 minutes. We found out about that earlier this week. So why give Tom Holland the entire script when he doesn't need to know everything that happens in the movie to be able to effectively promote it, you know? You know, I'm waiting for someone to do a rundown of all the times Tom Holland has screwed up and let something slip. I think earlier this week he revealed that Marvel is going to be bringing back the one-shots, and (laughs) it was something he wasn't (laughs) supposed to say. And he also said that the character in Iron Man 2 is a young Peter Parker, which is another thing I guess he wasn't supposed to say. Oh, really? Um, Is that- yeah. And, and also, I think when he was being interviewed for Captain America Civil War, he also revealed that he was going to be in Infinity War when he was not supposed to reveal that either. So uh, I'm waiting for one of these sites to, to do oh, a rundown. Also, this isn't really, wasn't really that big of a spoiler or like a, a revelation, but he, he was the one who also said that they were going to do a third Spider-Man movie in addition to Homecoming sequel and Infinity War. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He w- he got in trouble for that one too. Reportedly. I wonder, I wonder why he would get in trouble for that that Iron Man two theory thing. Like the only thing that I can think of is that maybe it'll have have some kind of tie to like maybe could that no that, that I, I was gonna say maybe that could be like when Uncle Ben died, but that would be too early in Peter's life for that to, to happen. That would be an interesting retcon though. Tom Holland and John Watts also said at some point that the Battle of New York from the Avengers could have a big effect on Peter in forthcoming sequels. So I wonder if maybe like he'll start to reflect on like what's happened in the past and may- maybe we'll find out Uncle Ben died during the Battle of New York or something like that somehow. I don't know. I feel like there's got to be something there. That's also a kind of interesting theory. I, I-, I think you're probably on to something here. We should also talk about um, there's some other Spider-Man news uh, on the site. And that is that the Spider-Man Homecoming sequel will pick up a few minutes after Avenger 4 ends. And that was revealed by Amy Pascal to fandom. I mean, this isn't a shocker because I I think you might have even written it up earlier last week that Spider-Man Homecoming sequel will basically be the start of the Phase 4 
of of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But the, the starting you know minutes after that ends kind of puts it in the Star Wars Last Jedi realm. Yeah, and it's I mean in a way I wonder if they'll keep doing that with Spider Man because Spider Man Homecoming starts a few minutes essentially after well kind of kind of after Civil War ends. It kind of happens in the middle of the ending of Civil War. Yeah. Because 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 I would imagine that uh, Tony Stark would have brought Peter home first, and then went back to the the Northern Avengers headquarters in upstate New York, and that's when he you know gets the call from Thunderbolt and puts him on hold and gets the letter from uh, Captain America. Um, but yeah, so I, I think maybe they'll just keep that trend of where Spider Man comes back home at the beginning of every Spider Man movie after being on some kind of adventure with the Avengers. That could be interesting, and also it would be following along with. Uh, Marvel has already had success with Captain America doing doing that with the Captain America sequels, which for all intents and purposes were Avengers, you know, point fives. Right. I think. Uh, yeah. I'm interested to see how it works for Spider-Man because I guess, I mean, they're kind of setting up that where Spider-Man, he can play in this larger world. But then after that, it's, you know, back home to street level Spider-Man stuff. Also in the news, the opening scene from Valerian, Luke Besson's next film will play before Spider-Man Homecoming in select theater. So they're basically taking on the model that, you know, Christopher Nolan used with The Dark Knight, and it's been done with a bunch of other movies. Uh, I Am Legend, um, Dunkirk had an, had, had an, op- you know, an opening sequence before certain films. Uh, have you seen Valerian yet? I have not seen Valerian. I'm actually really excited to see it because I think it just it looks like it's going to be this like visual feast and that's definitely in the same vein of uh Luke Besson's Fifth Element. I have seen Valerian and it's insane. It's bonkers. The visuals are even cooler than you can anticipate from all these trailers and the opening sequence is amazing. It's set to music. I'm not going to ruin what you're going to see hundreds of different creatures. And when I say hundreds of different alien creatures, I mean the different species. It's a cool opening. And I, I think they're going to tempt, try to tempt people to to see this film. Uh, do you think this film's going to do do well at the I'm, box office? I'm really worried that it's not. It's the kind of movie that I really want to do well because I feel like we need more bombastic, outlandish sci-fi movies like this. And I know it's going to do well overseas because Valerian is this, you know, huge graphic novel over in Europe. But I feel like United States audiences are going to sleep on it, which is kind of frustrating. But maybe, you know, playing the sequence before such a large audience that will be seeing Spider-Man Homecoming will help a little bit. I don't don't know. I'm hopeful, though. I would like to see this movie do at least some decent business. And the last item in the news is actually a theme park item based on, you know, a theme park ride that spawned the movie. And is is now you know evolving with the times, unlike the, the unlike the franchise. <laughs> yeah, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean famously had this scene, and it's this um, scene where they're auctioning off a wench bride. I, I could definitely see why Disney would want to change the scene. They're going to change it into a basically an auction, not for the wench. But interesting that they're changing this. I I, I do understand that this is a kids' attraction. But the pirates are really bad people and them, you know, treating women in this respect, I don't think is out of their character. I mean, what do you think of this change in the ride? 
I mean, like like you said, I get it. You know, I mean, it's not necessarily something you want to portray at a place like Disneyland, even though it feels like it's something that is within that world. I just, I, I don't know. It's just, it does definitely fit in with the characteristics of pirates. But since they don't really do those kinds of things in the movies, I, I imagine it makes sense to get rid of something like that. But I don't know. It's, I, 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 I get it. Like, I mean, there's really no other thing to say. I mean. Disney obviously, you know, doesn't will gloss over, uh, doesn't want to ha- remind people of some of the inherent racism that had existed in some of their early stuff either. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I imagine- this isn't the first time that they've changed Pirates of the Caribbean. In 1997, they changed scenes where there were pirates chasing women, sometimes with like swords and what whatnot, and they changed it around so that the women were chasing the pirates. So, I mean, that one seems a little bit more obvious to me even though i guess both are in the character of what pirates would do i guess you gotta just write this off as you know kids are gonna see this and the pirates of the caribbean has kind of taken on a life of its own and it's more family friendly now i wish they would change it so that they could introduce some kind of element that would make the movies exciting again that would be cool (laughs) i don't think that's in the plans after the box office for this last one so I don't know. I think maybe if you replace the real Johnny Depp with the Johnny Depp that's on the ride now, that could be interesting, and we could see if people notice. Where can we find more of your work on the internet this week, Brad? Hey, I'm always writing at SlashFilm.com, because that's where I write about movies. And uh, (laughs) make sure you check out my review for Spider-Man Homecoming. It went up earlier this week. It is fantastic, and obviously you're going to go see it anyway, but make sure you see it sooner than later. I also am on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton, and you can check out my podcast called Go Flix Yourself, F-L-I-X, where we talk about movies and trailers and make a lot of jokes, and there's there's some swearing, too, so have fun with that. Yes, there's no swearing over in this corner of the internet, <laughs> and you can. this is just a selection of the stories on the site, so head to SlashFilm.com for more movie news and info. In our feature presentation today, we have Ben Pearson, writer for SlashFilm.com, here to talk about his favorite movies of 2017 so far. Ben, how are you doing today? Hey, Peter. How are you? I'm doing good. Um, So I guess we're going to run down this list. You can read the whole thing at SlashFilm.com in depth, but we're just going to touch upon each entry in brief. Let's start at number 10. My number 10 is The Little Hours. It's uh, Jeff Baina's period piece. It's the nun gone crazy movie with uh, Alison Brie, Aubrey Plaza, and Kate Micucci. Uh, This movie, I think, is the funniest thing that I've seen so far this year. And uh, I traditionally am sort of tough to please when it comes to comedies. Uh, and I feel like comedies are generally undervalued, in, especially on year-end lists and lists like this one, sort of halfway point lists. So I wanted to, uh, to give it a shout out. Um, it should be in theaters uh, now or expanding slowly or maybe this Friday. It's, it's uh, definitely an end of July or I'm sorry, end of June, early July release. And I think it's going to be sort of uh, expanding very soon. So people should have a chance to uh, check it out. And I would recommend it. I like this movie a lot. Yeah, this is a movie that played at Sundance. I didn't get to see it, and uh, it seems like half your movies played at Sundance, and we'll get to those a little later. But right now, we're going to go to number nine, which is Logan. Yes, uh, James Mangold's conclusion of the Wolverine saga as played by Hugh Jackman. Um, This movie, uh, from its opening frames, really uh, lets you know instantly what kind of movie it's going to be. The the opening word in the film is fuck, and it does not take long before Logan starts just ripping dudes' limbs off. This is the hard R uh, movie that 
people have who have wanted to see Wolverine go into berserker rage for all these years. This is that movie for them. Uh, and it also happens to be a, you know, deeply sad um, sort of moving tribute to one of superhero cinema's greatest icons. So, uh, yeah, I, I, this, I liked this movie a lot more than I thought I was going to going into it. I'm with you here. I feel like the Wolverine movies haven't been great, but this one is a great one. I'm not sure it stands well on its own. I feel like you need that history of the X-Men movies and the Wolverine for this to emotionally pay off, but Mm -hmm. it's a great movie and it would be on my list too. Let's get to your number eight, which is John Wick chapter two. Yeah, man, I really liked the first one, but this one I love. Uh, the first one I thought was fun, but this just does everything I think a great sequel should with you know expanding the unique and fun mythology of this world. Uh, the action is better. There's more action than there was the first time. I think this movie obviously benefits by the foundations that were set in the first film. But this one, um, it does everything. Yeah, like a, a really good sequel should do it. It pays attention to the consequences of the actions of the first movie and then builds everything on that. There are some great action set pieces here. Uh, the scene with um, the Hall of Mirrors stands out as like one of the really great uh, film or uh, you know action shootouts in recent memory. And uh, Common is really surprisingly great as one of John Wick's antagonists in this movie too. So uh, I had a ton of fun with this one. Yeah, I, I think I like the action of the first one more, but the world building of this, I did not expect. And coming out of this movie, I was like, I want to see more movies set in this world. I'm glad we're going to get a TV show. We're going to get more films. Yeah. <laughs> Number seven is another film festival favorite, but not Sundance. It's uh, first played, I think, at South by Southwest, and that is Edgar Wright's Baby Driver. I have yes. yet to see this one. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. That's, uh, that's shocking. Yeah, this one, um, I think... I I don't love it quite as much as uh, maybe some of our uh, our collaborators and and uh, colleagues, but I still had a ton of fun with this movie. It's super super cool. Um, that may be a little bit. It might be too cool for its own good in some degree. And the music, I think, it's a, it's such a big part of this film and the way that the music um, is sort of built in from the ground up to the story uh, makes it a unique cinematic experience for me. Uh, I think I would, it might be higher on this list if I was more familiar with the songs on the soundtrack. Um, and you know, if I was able to look forward to those and sort of, uh, relate to those songs a little bit more because I wasn't super familiar with a ton of them. I mean, uh, there are a few of course, but, uh, for the most part, I was sort of going into the music aspect of this film a little cold. And I think listening to the soundtrack over and over will definitely, um, enhance repeat viewings of baby driver, which, uh, again, super, super cool movie. And number six, I have seen, and we've already talked about it briefly. We talked about your problems with this movie, but it's number six on your list, and it's Spider-Man: Homecoming. Yes, yeah, I think despite my uh, my issues with it, uh, which are not that many, I think it does so much right that I can't help but sort of love this film. I think the the John Hughes angle, um, that whole approach to the storytelling, and and bringing Peter Parker back to high school where he really belongs, uh, you know, as established in the comics, um, just makes this movie a different kind of Spider-Man than any other Spider-Man movie that we've seen so far. 
and I think it works really, really wonderfully. All of the uh, high school stuff, all of the interactions with his friends and, and the girls and all that stuff in school um, really sort of takes this movie to the next level for me. And I'd also add that it makes it a different kind of superhero movie than I think we've ever seen, not just Spider-Man movie. It, it excites me. I feel like every year, I know people are getting burnt out on comic book movies, but every year when there's a Deadpool or there's a this or there's, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy where they show that, you know, a comic book movie can be different genre. It can be something mm-hmm. different. Number five on your list uh, is another Sundance favorite. It was the opening film of the Sundance Film Festival. It's I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. And it, it has kind of gotten buried on Netflix, I feel like. One yeah, of those direct sad. Netflix. Yeah. It's still on Netflix, so I would highly encourage people to check it out right now. It's really, really great. Um, it features a fantastic performance from Melanie Linsky, who is always wonderful. Um, Elijah Wood plays a delightfully awkward sort of karate enthusiast. Uh, and this whole movie, I really related to its central message, which is, why can't everyone just stop being an asshole? There's no need. Just take it down a notch, people. Uh, and this movie... Um, is the directorial debut of uh, Macon Blair, who starred in movies like Green Room and Blue Ruin. And I think it proves that uh, it's a small movie for sure. And it's his, you know, his debut. So um, there might be some things that don't quite sing as much as others in this film, but I do think it shows a lot of potential for him moving forward uh, as a filmmaker. And I'm really excited to see what he, he does next. Yeah. I think everybody should check this out on Netflix. I don't think everybody's going to love this. It has a, as two strong tones that I think are opposition to each other at times, but people that dig that kind of thing will, will definitely dig this film. Uh, number four on your list. No one expected that this yeah. film would beat Batman vs Superman at the box office, but Wonder Woman it has been a sensation. Yeah, I was shocked because I despised the previous two entries in the the DC Extended Universe and didn't really have high hopes for this one, but I was sort of blown away. Um, I think Gal Gadot, I believe that's how you pronounce her last name, uh, is really, I mean, spot on, perfect casting as Diana. And again, I didn't really love her performance in Batman vs Superman in the small role that she had in that film, but giving her her own movie and really giving her some room to breathe as a performer, I think does wonders. I think the Patty Jenkins just knocked this whole movie out of the park. The final battle, while a little CG heavy and sort of eye rollish, uh, does not uh, take away from the great script, the terrific performances, and just the sense of hope and optimism that this movie uh, fills you with as you walk out of the theater. So I, I really, really like this one. Yeah, I agree. Gal is delightful. The ending is horrible. But <laughs> somehow, <laughs> somehow this movie is still just, you know, a shining star this year. And the thing the thing about that movie, too, is the things I was expecting to hate, like the Chris Pine love story you know, every everything I like, I was like, oh, how are they going to do a lasso of truth? Yeah, everything they they delivered on all the all the things I was expecting not to like they were were great. Yeah. So um, number three on your list is another Sundance movie. It was a surprise midnight screening, and that is Jordan Peele's Get Out. Yeah, and this is another one that is like a described as a full-on sensation i think for this year this movie did way better than anybody thought it was going to um and it actually turned out better than i thought it was going to and i was already a big fan of jordan peele going into this i'd seen every episode of key and peele uh i'd seen keanu the movie that i think he and uh and keegan michael key wrote uh which i didn't like nearly as much as this but showing what peele can do behind the camera as a director this sort of social horror thriller um 
really sort of blew me away. It's it's a very mature movie for a first time film. Uh, and I'm super excited to see how he progresses as a filmmaker. I, I know that he's been talking a lot about making more social horror movies or, you know, movies that sort of uh, do what this movie did really, really well, which is comment on, um, you know, different states of America and, and um, you know, perspectives in America. And I think he's, uh, after just one movie, he's proved himself to be uh, a vital voice in the cinematic world right now. Oh, for sure. And I I think that number four and number three on your list, Get Out and Wonder Woman, both hit at the exact right time. <laughs> you know, the yeah. audiences yeah. wanted a Wonder Woman movie and audiences needed to get out. Number two on your list is near the top of my list, too. It, it, it is Matt Reeves, War for the Planet of the Apes. Yeah, I, I don't know if I've ever been as wrong about a trilogy or, or my feeling what I thought I would feel about a trilogy as uh, I was about this apes thing. I walked into 2011's Rise and was super surprised with how much I enjoyed that film. And then as soon as Matt Reeves took over with Dawn and then capped it off, capped off the Caesars trilogy with this movie. I mean, it has just been um, an incredible run uh, for a trilogy that I did not anticipate liking in the least. Um, the work that Weta Digital has done is just, I mean, you can't throw enough accolades at them for the photo real apes that they've created on screen. By this point, you just straight up believe that there are talking apes. There's no uh, uncanny valley or weirdness when you're watching the uh, CG creations that they've that they've done and the performances by Andy Serkis and all of these people are just um, unbelievable. This is also, um, I think, super important the way that Reeves tell these stories. He's he's very much an anti-war filmmaker and somebody who is um, empathetic toward feelings, which is not something that really you get a lot of in big summer blockbusters. But both this and Dawn, um, those tones shine through more than really anything else. And I think uh, it's a again, like I use that word vital when I was talking about Jordan Peele, but I think this is like a vital blockbuster that everyone needs to see. Oh, for sure. War for the Planet of the Apes to me is is the kind of blockbuster I hope happens these days it's like at the intersection of fun but also smart it's what chris nolan's been trying to do his entire career it says something isn't too preachy about it delivers and just it it just hits all the marks for me yeah and and it's a corporate product too you know like from from a business perspective it works on that level also and it it just shows that not everything has to be an empty, soulless, sort of mindless CG fest. This is like this is the right way to tell a story like that. For sure. And your number one movie was my number one movie of Sundance this year, and that is The Big Sick. Yeah, I was uh, I had, you know, heard about the hype and stuff. I wasn't at Sundance this year, but I heard about the hype uh, coming out about this movie. I love uh, Kumail from, you know, Silicon Valley and all that stuff. But I was still, even with all the hype, shocked with how much I love this movie. I am personally just a sucker for uh, charming movies, you know, people who, uh, you know, ooze charisma and Kumail and Zoe Kazan, who plays his uh, real life wife, Emily Gordon, in this movie are just terrific. They are both super charismatic. And um, the whole story, which is based on the real beginning of their relationship. Uh, and and is, it's one of those stories that if it wasn't true, it would be too ridiculous to be. A yeah. Movie. 
It really would. But I think that truth and, and really sort of, you know, digging into the core of the truth of that story is and is one of those things that it's a super specific story, but it also that specificity helps it somehow become universal. You know, it gets so, so drilled down on um, the dynamics between uh, Kumail and his family, which everybody can relate to, even though it's maybe outside of your uh, cultural sphere, you know, um, there are so many aspects of this movie that are really relatable and uh, deeply moving, very personal, but also hilarious at the same time. It balances a bunch of different tones, and uh, I think it just juggles that stuff perfectly. Um, Ray Romano is good in this movie. Holly Hunter is great in this movie. And it's sort of like the best episodes of Master of None, where it it sort of gives audiences a window into a worldview that we might not be familiar with, but leaves us um, sort of buoyant and uh, and joyful walking out of the theater. So I, I really love this movie. Yeah, and I was going to say, you, you can't say enough good things about Ray Romano in this film. I, I feel like he really surprised me. Not that I, I haven't seen him in good stuff before. Uh, but th- th- this film, I've seen it twice now, brings me to tears every time. Uh, yeah, it's so it's, good. It's it, 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 it's a great film, and I, I I can't stress enough. Go see this movie in theaters. It's the kind of film that Amazon bought it. I think they beat out uh, Netflix because Kumail wanted a theatrical run. So it, it it is in theaters right now. You should go see it. The Big Sick. Well, this is a good list. Uh, this is a good start for a good year of, of cinema. Ben, where can we find more of your work on the internet? Uh, you can find me writing at SlashFilm.com, and you can hit me up on Twitter, Twitter.com slash BenPairs. Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick any area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM Sports account to get started. Then visit your promotion section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. You'll score a prize if you hit a single, double, triple, or home run. There's nothing more exciting than going yard. So swing for the fences with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on the market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER and partnership with MGM Northfield Park.